Welcome to the Gospel Gazing Podcast. I'm Wilson, your host. Uh, we got Zach Bird here again, and I'm not going to mess this up. Uh, he is the pastor of both Raymond Presbyterian Church and Bethesda. Is it Bethesda Presbyterian or is it First Presbyterian Bethesda or what? Are, it, what are other? It is the only names? church in Bethesda, so it's just Bethesda Presbyterian. Church. There we go. There we go. You know, we only we only we're only so creative in the PCA where. Uh, what do we have names like Grace, Redeemer, Trinity, First, or the name of your town? We're we're not original. That's yeah, okay. That's all we got. Hey, uh, you are a repeat guest on our podcast, and uh, we're uh, we'll, we'll probably have you on several times. And uh, Lord willing, get you up here in April to come preach in the flesh to be in the with flesh. us. So. Uh, so our people will get more and more familiar with you. But tell us a little bit more about, uh, we had mentioned last time, you're from Soso, Mississippi. Tell us about Soso and growing up there. Soso is a magical place. Everybody needs to visit Soso, Mississippi. It has five churches, three liquor stores, two gas stations, and a Dollar General. So you can get bread, <laughs> get drunk, get gas, and get Jesus all in one trip. It's an amazing place to be. It, if if uh, if we're not familiar with where Soso, Mississippi is, if you had to point on the map, kind of which of the four quadrants of Mississippi would it be in? Well, uh, let, let me explain it like this. Uh, a lot of people watch uh, HGTV. Yeah. And they see the show Hometown. Yep. That's in Laurel, Mississippi. That's where you go get groceries. So Soso is 10 minutes outside of Laurel, Mississippi. There you go. There you go. The, hey, look. the house we sold to come to seminary was in the first season of Hometown. Hey, so you're basically a celebrity. More or less. Yes. So. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, we're pumped to have you on here again. Uh, today, we're talking about something that you and I have talked about a lot, uh, and that is covenant theology. And in particular, we're, we're really trying to get at the difference that covenant theology makes uh, in the life of the church and the Christian. And that's really the purpose of the Gospel Gazing podcast is to explain uh, the riches of the gospel of grace and to apply it to all of life. So we love asking the what and the so what. Um so thinking about covenant theology, even before we talk about what is that, we really need to get at the word covenant. So, Zach, tell us, what is a covenant? I have a definition that my church knows by heart because I say it often. So I'm going to give it to you, and then I'll give some color. A covenant is an agreement between two parties with certain obligations and promises. Or, if I can steal a phrase from Stephen Myers, it's a relationship with parameters. Yeah. What do I mean? Wilson, your marriage, happy marriage, beautiful marriage, is it a relationship or a contract? Both. Yes. Covenant is a relationship. Yeah. But it's also a contract. It's good. It has promises, has obligations. Both are important. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Now, in in light of that definition of what a covenant is, what do we mean in Presbyterian and Reformed 
uh, circles. What do we mean by covenant theology? Have you ever read this book? It's called the Westminster Confession. Have you ever read that? <laughs> uh, I like it. It has a line in chapter seven. I'm going to paraphrase it, but it says the distance between God and the creature is so great that we would have no mm -hmm. enjoyment of him if he did not communicate with us by means of covenant. Mm. Covenant theology is a it's more than a theme it is something whose roots spread into everything from what we believe about the trinity to christ to what the church looks like to our marriages are structured uh, the most the covenant that most of us are familiar with if you if you use the old wedding vows i do promise and covenant yeah. with you is is a theology that embraces the whole of our relationship with the triune God. Yeah. So it sounds, it sounds like what you're saying is that covenant is really uh, a fuller definition of relationship. Yes. It's a relationship with parameters. Yeah. Yeah. And the so, more intimate the relationship the more clear the parameters are. Yeah. How, how do you think that speaks to our day where there is still this idea of saying, you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship? Um, because um, maybe in some ways of explanation that could be helpful, but there are definitely a lot of other ways where that's very postmodern Western. Very much. Uh, you know, I, I love my think of my wife, Jessica. There was a time when we were friends and I had lots of things I could do. I could hang out with whoever I wanted to. I could have a great time. But when we got married, everything changed. My interaction, not only with her, but with the outside world as well. And that plays its way out in lots of ways. If I come to your house in April and I don't take out your trash, who cares? However, we have a seven month old. And if there's a smelly diaper and I don't take out the trash, <laughs> it has a little bit different effect. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because the intimacy brings with it expectations yeah the promises bring with it obligations i think of it in terms of of biking uh, lots of people bike the natchez trace through mississippi their favorite place to bike is places where there are bike lanes yeah when there are no bike lanes people can just drive whenever and that's where most people get hurt yeah but when you have a bike lane not only does that provide you safety and protection but it gives you the freedom to bike faster. Yeah. So having those parameters, that covenantal relationship actually enhances my enjoyment of my wife and my God. Yeah. We had this so the relationship. It, 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 a limit, but it not re a re relationship, but not religion. It muddies. Yeah. The yeah. Of who God is. We, we had this illustration in youth ministry where, uh, and, and I got it from my, uh, 
uh, one of my good friends and mentors, uh, Kurt Cooper, who's over in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, he used to explain it in the way of uh, it's it's like if you took a soccer ball and just put it in the middle of a wide open field with no lines, no goals, and you just said, okay, go play. And, and really, if you had that, you would say, uh, if you stuck to merely that, how, how boring it would get and how qu- quickly boring it would get. Uh, and actually, very interestingly, typically when you say that, what do we end up doing? We tend up we tend to make up rules uh-huh. <laughs> in order to make a game. So there there is something about even that natural example about how we actually see that there is a lot of freedom in structure and um, things like that. Now, you mentioned earlier about how covenant theology is it's not just kind of one thing in our theology, but in a lot of ways, it's an all-encompassing thing. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like if that's the case, this changes the way we read the Bible. Wholeheartedly. Um, I'm going to recommend books throughout our talk because yeah, yes. your viewers have not met me. I'm 110 pounds. You know, I don't play football. And I don't do a lot of deer hunting. If I shoot it, how am I going to drag a 150-pound animal out of the woods? Uh, but I love to read. Yeah. So I'm going to make some recommendations. One is The Pearl of Christian Comfort. Yes. It's written as a dialogue. But one of the first questions he asks is, how do you divide the Bible? Mm. And most people are going to say Old Testament, New Testament. And he says, wrong answer. Yeah. Law, gospel. Mm, or we on. could say covenant of works, covenant of grace. Yes. Because the gospel is in the Old Testament. Correct. The law is in the New Testament. Be the perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Woo! Not Moses wasn't even that hard on people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I think that's a huge point. Um, law gospel is, uh, you know, when we know that, you know, someone who was no slouch of a theologian in Martin Luther, he said, uh, true theologians know how to distinguish and rightly divide between law and gospel. Well, and what happens in in the Pearl of Christian Comfort is she is in great spiritual agony She's depressed. She gets no joy from worship. And it really starts as she doesn't know how to read her Bible. Yeah. And so verses that should have brought her comfort, she was reading the wrong way, Mm. which was condemning her. And in 60 pages, he really draws this out of how much covenant is involved in just the reading of God's word. And yeah. the writers rightly dividing the word of truth. Yeah. Now, when tell us when when was that book originally written? Because I think this says a lot to how how rich the content is. Second Dutch Reformation, I think, late seventeen hundreds. Yeah. So early eighteen hundreds, something in fact, that ballpark. Yeah, the fact that this has been around for that long, and still so many people can read it and say, "Oh, wow, this is reading me," um, shows the timeless nature of the importance of covenant theology. Yes. 
Yes. And I would say as a Christian culture, um, we have really kind of cut the Old Testament out of our life, which has really cut out our understanding of covenant. Yeah. Because the Bible itself is a covenant document. And what do, you mean, what do you mean by that? Well, let's think for a minute. Uh, a covenant has certain pieces. It has a historical prologue. How did we how did we get, you know, when you go to a wedding, typically you will see photos and it'll be far ends of the table with them as babies, them in elementary school, them in high school. And then when they met, it's it's telling the story of how they come together. Yeah. And then we have vows we take and then we have um, bless. We have how to live and then we have blessings and curses you know we pronounce the benediction and we have witnesses we have witnesses in the wedding and we have uh ratification documents we sign a marriage license or we read the and preach the word on sunday we're ratifying the covenant well let's think of the bible the bible in the garden god enters into a covenant of works with adam what's the prologue of that covenant well it's creation yep then he makes the covenant of grace with Adam. What's the prologue to it? Creation and the former covenant. Well, he makes the covenant with Noah. What's the prologue to that? Yep. Adam, creation. Well, then he makes it with Abraham. Yeah. What's the prologue <laughs> to it? Noah, Adam, creation. Okay, well, you see Moses, David. When we get to the new covenant, what's the prologue? What's yeah. the the entirety of the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. It keeps and building. And then we have the apostles, which tell us how to live. And then we have a ratification ceremony in Revelation where he says, hey, don't add anything to this. Yeah. And then every Sunday when we sit under the preaching of God's word, our, our worship service is a dialogue where God calls us to worship and he sends us out with a blessing. It's ratifying that covenant relationship every Sunday. So I got to... We, we we need to chase this rabbit for a second because I think you're saying something that is hugely important for our worldview for discipleship and the worship service. When when you say the worship service is a ratification of the covenant, can you explain that even even more? Because if we understand this, this radically changes the way we prepare for worship, the way we worship in worship and even how we reflect on worship. Well, I mean, I, I would say we have some parallels in our own wet in our own marriages. You know, it's not like we get married and that's it. Yeah. We're constantly coming back to those vows in a thousand different ways when we mm -hmm. have a meal together. Yeah. Times of intimacy, you know, anniversaries. Well, in the same way, we see that happening in worship. I think of um oh Miles, not Miles Morales, that's Spider-Man. Michael <laughs> Morales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where he really outlines um the building of the tabernacle and Moses yeah. could not enter the tabernacle. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. How's the problem resolved? God calls Moses into his presence. Yeah, and preaches the gospel to him through the sacrificial system in Leviticus. Leviticus is the best book of the Old Testament for that reason. Come on now, he he preaches the gospel, and at the end of it, there is a 
he's reaffirming the promises to him. Well, when we come to worship, I'm thinking of my order of worship. We have a call to worship. That's God speaking to us. The way he called Abraham out of the Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, the way he called Moses into the tabernacle. He calls us into his presence. Yeah. We sing a praise song and worship and and confess our faith and we confess our sin. We speak to God. Well, then we hear an assurance of pardon. Mm. God speaks to us. We have a prayer of intercession. We speak to God. Yeah. We read the scriptures. He speaks to us. We sing. We give gifts. We speak to God. Through the preaching of the word, Christ speaks to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We sing a song, and then I pronounce a benediction, but that's God sending his people out with his blessing, yes. recreating that Exodus 40 mm -hmm. to number six. We recreate that every single Sunday. Yeah. That's huge. And, and, and like, like a wedding ceremony, uh, yeah, and, and, and you and I have had the privilege of being able to, to officiate these. And, uh, you know, we will often tell people, whether in the ceremony or in premarital counseling, you know, remember this day. Uh, this is not a day that is only kept in the past. It, it, it forever changes. It, it brings you into this whole new reality. But it's also helpful to remember to keep going back to the fact that like you have been made one. And uh, you have to keep reinforming and re uh, not just reinforming, but reforming your life in light of that reality, which is the same thing we do in worship. Well, and let me say this. There's a story by David Foster Wallace where he tells of two fish are swimming in, in the pond and an older fish passes by and the older fish says, how's the water, boys? And the two younger fish look at each other and they say, what the explicit is water. Yeah. In the same way, we swim in cultural waters right now. We, we're not even cognizant of it. Yeah. We're doing is when we enter into worship and we're ratifying this covenant relationship with God, mm. we are entering into the redemptive narrative that is above and and beyond the cultural waters we swim in every day. Yeah, that's how good. He transforms us into His image. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm so much like my wife in better ways because of all the times we've got to spend together. Yeah. You become what you love. And in that covenant renewal ceremony that he so often portrays as marriage in like Hosea, Jeremiah 31, uh, or two places that come to mind, he is making us into his image as he ratifies this covenant Sunday after Sunday yeah. after Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Very much like what we've been preaching through at our church, Second Corinthians, is that that's a that's a big theme is how this new covenant, uh, it um, makes us more into the image of Christ as we continue to, to see him by faith. Now, you had mentioned this phrase earlier uh, where you said the covenant of works. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we see when we, when we study covenant theology is that there are two different types of covenants. There's either the covenant of works or the covenant of grace. Mm 
What is the covenant of works? The covenant of works is the covenant God made with Adam as our federal head, our representative, where he was promised eternal life. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17, upon the condition of perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience, to which obviously yeah. he kind of dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> yeah. However, it is the covenant relationship that everybody is born into. Wait, 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 Zach. So what you're telling me is if covenant is a more full definition of relationship, then you just said that everyone has a relationship with God. Everyone. What do you mean by that? Uh, This is a very important point. I remember Carl Truman once said that the two most important people in the Bible are Adam and Jesus. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Yep. He is our, one of those will be our representative. Or We see the same uh, thing right now. You know, let's think, um, um, we hear Putin invaded Ukraine. Yeah. I've never seen Putin fire a bullet. Mm, yes good example good example but he's speaking yeah. as a representative yep in the same way adam is the representative of all of him all of those who've come after him by natural birth yeah yeah that's us yep it's everybody yeah changes the way we look at everything from apologetics to counseling mm-hmm. because everybody is in a relationship with god well, and, and we need to unpack that because you're 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 making some huge implications that I think are very uh, very important for us today. But I do think that illustration there, uh, you know, with uh, Putin and Russia, we we actually see that uh, covenant theology and some of these uh, ideas are more familiar to us than we might initially think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about uh not just in politics, but also in the realm of sports. Uh, you know, when you say Nick Saban, uh y- y- you see Alabama football. Um, you know, you hardly even need to say his name, but when you see a silhouette of a football coach uh with a mullet, you know you're about to say go pokes. Um I mean, yeah, so so we we are familiar with those uh, with those ideas, that representative uh, idea. I think uh, one of my favorite illustrations of this is uh, from uh, the great Denzel Washington. Remember the Titans? They're yes. about to get on the bus. Who's your daddy, Gary? Who's your daddy? And that, that in a lot of ways, is what covenant theology is. Who, who's your daddy? Who do you belong to? Romans 5, 12 through 21. Who's your daddy? Yeah. That's going to be my next, uh, that's going to be a sermon title one day. I can't wait. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's right. Um, now. I, I'll make a bold statement. Uh, I don't think social media would exist if the covenant of works did not. Come, come, come on with that. Come on with that. Well, let's think about it. The covenant of works is dependent upon the performance of righteousness by Adam. Mm. We, that is in you can't beat out of the flesh what is mm. bred into the bone. That's still in us. Yeah. Well, let's think of, of social media and how much of it is used. We take 500 photos to post the best one. Yes. 
why we want the affirmation of a voice outside of us. Yeah. yeah. We want an alien affirmation. In the same way, we are still in that mode of I've got to be righteous to earn a reward. Yeah. I've got to do good to earn affirmation. Yep. I've got to earn my own salvation, whether that is in public approval or what have you. That desire to justify ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, we even built on that. We even do it. Uh, some people will say, "Well, I just try to post pictures to look normal," but that's still trying to be. You're wanting to be approved for being normal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, for our listeners, we're not saying social media is, you know, all terrible, delete it or else, yada, yada, yada. But we are saying don't miss these very ingrained realities that infiltrate everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the covenant of works, everyone who is born comes from Adam and Eve. Uh, who's born by natural generation. Uh, that's uh, this is one of the reasons why we needed Jesus. Uh, there's things there about the virgin birth, but even he was born under the law uh, so that he could redeem us. We'll, we'll get to that part in a second. But this is important because everyone is born into the covenant of works. But that doesn't mean everyone's a believer. Correct. So... How does the covenant of works shape the way we think about unbelievers? Well, let's think a minute about Paul in Romans chapter 2, 14 through 15, where he talks about the Gentile does not have the law, but he still does it. Yeah. That moral law is written on the confines of our heart. Mm. And so we still get issues of conscience in unbelievers. Yeah. You know, if I walk up to an unbeliever and I slap their mother, yeah, they're probably going to get offended. Yeah. They're going to be wronged. Well, by what standard? Mm. The, the, the law that was given to Adam the moral law given to Adam in the covenant of works, what we would see later written as the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, it's still there. Yeah. Uh, so issues of conscience, issues of morality, we can still, we don't have to start from the position of, let me convince you God is real. No, it's ingrained in us. Yeah, that's good. It's the suppression of righteousness that hides it. Yeah. I think this has big implications when we think about uh, counseling. Mm -hmm. If we're counseling an unbeliever, um, yeah, we we, we do believe in common grace, absolutely. But are there limitations that we have whenever we're counseling an unbeliever because of the covenant of works and the curse that's there because of it being broken. Well, I will say there's a book here, The Backdrop for a Glorious Gospel by Thomas Parr. He analyzes William Strong, 17th century Puritan. One of the things he, he mentions is that the covenant of works creates a psycholo- psychological condition mm. Everyone. 
Yeah. He talks about the need to seek our own righteousness. He talks about unbelievers being coerced to follow the law. He talks about the how it fosters hypocrisy. Mm. We see that all the time. So yeah. there's only one way out of Raymond if you're going to go anywhere. And it's amazing how many people will be speeding until they realize I'm in front of them. And then all of a sudden they start doing the dry, doing the speed limit. <laughs> and I know them. they don't go to church anywhere. They're not Christians. But you see that hypocrisy. Somebody's mm. watching. Yeah. I better slow down. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's that 110-pound preacher. He might come get me, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the currency and the condemnation of, of the covenant of works is still very much in force. Yeah. The currency of self-righteousness, the condemnation of I'm not. Yeah. We can hide over it. I think that's one reason we see such rise in things like pornography. Yeah. We can just say the pleasure industry in general. Yeah. Ways of of trying to coat that condemnation. We're all trying to nurse it, but the only cure, the only bomb in Gilead is a new covenant. Yeah. Well, one thing that's interesting is at times you can see how we will label things as uh, only mental health issues mm-hmm. when um, what we know from the covenant of works is that actually we want to be telling an unbeliever who is experiencing uh, anxiety, even really deep anxiety. In some ways, we want to say there's a reason why you feel that way. And mm-hmm. no matter what we do, like you, 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 this is trying to tell you something. You need to listen to it rightly. Um, you know, I think we'll go back to, to talking about my wife. If my dear wife is upset with me, I can't eat. I yeah. just, it dry. I mean, it, it changes me yeah. internally. Thankfully, my wife never gets mad at me, so I haven't had to deal with that in 14 years. But if that's true in our marriages, that's true in our friendships, Mm -hmm. how much more true is it in that most fundamental relationship we have with God? Yeah. If it is broken, Mm. we are broken. Yep. Yeah. Now, when we think about the covenant of works, we know, and you had mentioned earlier how the Carl Truman said that the two most important people in Scripture are Adam and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in Romans 5, Paul will say the first Adam and the second Adam. Correct. So what do we mean when we're thinking about the covenant of works and how Jesus becomes a second Adam? Well, you mentioned earlier two covenants. I don't want to throw a wrench. I'd say a third. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And we see what's called the covenant of redemption. Yeah. But really, we we can just bypass it and say that in eternity past, Jesus Christ voluntarily assumed the role as our mediator. Yeah that he may take up the broken covenant of works and fulfill it on our behalf. Hmm. So I love the, the this book that you've read, the 
Westminster larger catechism. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. A covenant of grace was made with Christ as the second Adam, and in him with all the elect as his seed. Mm. Um, it's first made with Christ and then us in connection to him. Yeah. Yeah. So when when the Son of God takes on flesh, Paul says in Galatians that he was born of woman, mm-hmm. which which should be a ding, 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 Gal- mm-hmm. uh, Genesis 3.15, uh, mm-hmm. seed of the woman. He's born of woman, and then he's born under the law. Wait, why is Jesus who... Isn't he God? Didn't he make the law? Why is he born under the law? So I mentioned three words that are very important. When we think of the covenant of works, the righteousness required needs to be personal, perfect, and perpetual. Jesus Christ came to fulfill those three things. And the suffering, the debt that is due from their breaking. So he he acquires from us a perfect standing and a perfect suffering. He fulfills the righteous requirements and he pays the debt. So you're saying we can't just be forgiven. Correct. What? It's more than a negative aspect. Can you explain that? Yeah. Well, let, let me think of this. So what do you drive, Wilson? I drive the most rare car in America, a Honda Accord. Okay. Well, uh, I'm glad to know you and Grace are in one Accord. That's <laughs> uh, So I take your Honda out and I wreck it. When you say, it's okay, Zach, I forgive you. Where does the bill go? Good, good illustration. Somebody's got to pay the bill. Yeah. In this instance, Jesus pays the bill. Mm. I wreck Jesus's car. Jesus pays the bill. He forgives me, but he pays the bill. Both. It's a positive and a negative. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is why in Scripture sometimes you, you can, though these things are distinguished between forgiveness and righteousness, Sometimes the way it speaks when one is talked about, the other is assumed mm-hmm. uh, to be there as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really important thing to remember um, and to, to, to do both the distinction, but then also remember that they're both there. So that means as if, if I believe in Christ now all of a sudden I have a as it were I have a new daddy. You have a new daddy. I have a new representative and in him whatever he earned is now mine. Forgiveness, cleansing, righteousness, power to live in light of uh who I am now and eventual, you know, heaven itself and all the blessings that are thrown in with him. Now do we do we always remember that we've been plucked out of the covenant of works? No. Uh, I would say we backtrack into it often. I think of it like this. Um, 
four 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 sisters all got married. One and they all were raised in a dirt poor family in a shack in so so Mississippi next to one of the three liquor stores. Um, four daughters. They all married four different husbands. One married a king. One married a, a governor. One married a police chief. And one married a beggar. What makes the difference between those four girls? Who they married? Hmm. This union with Christ, what makes the difference between one man and another is the union. That's why Paul never calls us Christians. First mm. to us is what? In Christ, united to Christ. However, you take the poor girl from Soso, she marries the king, she lives in the king's mansion. But how often does she forget that now that I'm married to him, I have his riches? Yeah. She continues yeah. to wear and act as if she lives in her poverty. Yep. Yeah. We do it all the time. Yeah. And when we think about covenant also being a, a, a more full definition of what a relationship with God is, how often Christians can go back to that old way of trying to relate to God based on our works rather than the works of Christ. How, how, how do we, how do we, how do we help people? Because, or, or, or really, uh, let me ask you, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, how, how does this affect counseling someone who is struggling with learning to live in light of the covenant of grace rather than the covenant of works? Let's think of a train. You got an engine and a caboose. Most of my work in counseling is putting those two pieces in the right place. Hmm. In the covenant of works, it's my performance, God's reward. Yeah. Which even in that has a gracious element. Yeah. Adam was given eternal life for what? Not eating some fruit? Those aren't equal. Yeah. Yeah. There's even a gracious, but we ignore all that. Our work, God's reward. But in the covenant of grace, it's flipped, isn't it? Mm. It's Christ's reward. And our work flows from it. Yeah. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, not of works, blah, blah, blah. Verse 10, you've been created for works, which God prepared for you beforehand. Yep. Half of my, most of my work in counseling is keeping those two things in the right place. And yeah. it comes up in conversations in evangelism. I love the old evangelism explosion question. You died right now. Why would God let you in his perfect heaven? Mm. I've heard this from good Presbyterians. Well, I pray a lot. Yep. Covenant of works. Yep. I, well, I, I repent a lot every day. Bernard of Clairvaux says, you're more likely to find a sinless man than a man who's ever repented enough for his sins. Mm. Uh, okay. Well, no, I'm in. Because Jesus died for me. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else flows downhill from that. Yeah. I think when we think about Christians and the covenant of works, 
sometimes you'll see people who will struggle more so with the fact that they have to do uh, enough works for to keep God happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other times you'll see people struggle with uh, it's it's not so much, although it is not so much on their end, but it's more so on uh, how God views them mm-hmm. and uh, how people can still live as if God is getting them back for things in the past or God is, uh, you know, because there's still need to repent of this sin that God's got to really shake them up and get them right. Um. How how have you seen this in pastoral ministry, and how do you go about counseling them in light of covenant theology? Let me let me give a concrete example, one that probably everybody in every church has dealt with at some level. Talking with someone, they serve, they're faithful, they're great, but they're underappreciated. Mm. That never happens, right? Never happens. Yeah. Um, okay. And what happens is because it's eventually the switch flips where when other people don't say thank you to them, they read that as if they're not doing enough for God either. Mm. God's not appreciative. Yeah. They need that outward affirmation from others in order to feel affirmed by their heavenly father. Woo. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going from preaching to meddling at this point. <laughs> I think what call that. Uh, but however, how often do we see in Jesus Christ, you know, I'm thankful I don't have Jesus's ministry. He feeds 5,000 men and their families. Yeah. He preaches an amazing sermon and all of them leave but 12. And one of those 12 wants to kill him. Yep. But he had a secure relationship with his father. Mm. We have a secure relationship with our father. As much as the father loves the son is as much as he loves all those in the son. Mm. So if no one else says thank you, we can be assured when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, who's now risen and reigning, that as much as he's pleased in his son, he's pleased in me, even if nobody notices. Yeah. Because that covenantal relationship is secure. Yeah, that's really good. Now, when you talk about the covenant of grace, what what is the covenant of grace and what is its relationship with the or its relation to the covenant of works? The covenant of grace is our entering in to Christ's finished work where he finished the covenant of, he fulfilled the broken covenant of works for us. So we're entering in by faith to a work he's already done. That's why we see things like in First Peter where it says he's the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 1, in him, in light of that federal union, you have been predestined for the adoption of sons to be or so that you may be holy and blameless. Yeah. You see the order there. 
Actually, you could say Christ was appointed a mediator first in him. We were put into that covenant, predestined for the adoption as sons. And then what flows from that covenantal relationship? Hmm. So that you may be holy and blameless. Yeah. Yeah. You flip that order around, and it's called despair. Yeah. You keep absolutely. that order, it's called freedom. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, we can say we are saved by works. Yeah. Just not just not our works. <laughs> and uh and that that that's a huge concept for Christians to 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 get and to learn more and more. Yeah. Can I can I speak? We use the language, you know, adoption of sons, and there's yeah. an illustration that sticks out to me. Uh in Mississippi, the grass you have to mow your yard once a week. It's miserable. It's 120 degrees outside. Humidity is 100%. So you hire somebody. If I hired somebody to mow my yard and they missed a spot, they're not getting paid. Yeah, yeah. However, if my eight-year-old went out to mow the yard and they missed tons of spots, I'm going to take them out and get ice cream. Mm. Why? What's the difference? One is a workspace relationship. You do the thing, you get the money. The other one flows from the relationship. Yeah. And the imperfections are covered by my love for her. And mm. she gets a reward even though her works are not perfect. Yeah. In the same way, we get a crown of life. We mm. haven't earned it. Our works are our best works are imperfect, but his are perfect. And he has secured for us that perfect relationship. So that we can have the freedom to serve him wholeheartedly, even though we mess up all the time. Yeah. It's I feel like freedom. This, this changes a lot about our uh, our identity as Christians. How, yes. how, how does it do so? My identity. Oh, there's a quote by uh, Sinclair Ferguson. Old Fergie. What does it say? <laughs> The Christian life depends on knowing who you are, whose you are, and how to live flows from that. Yep. That's so good. I can remember growing up, and as a young child, small, slightly smaller than I am now, <laughs> acting a fool, <laughs> And my mother would say, we're birds. We don't act that way. Mm. But you see, it's not act right and then you'll become a bird. Yeah. yeah. You are a bird. Yeah. Let that identity change your behavior. Yeah. We, we often talk today when we talk about identity, we often only focus on the who am I? And mm -hmm. that's hugely important. But there is the importance, equal importance of the whose am I? Matter of fact, you could argue that you can say a lot about here's who I am, here's who I am, but that ha that does not have nearly uh, the value if you get wrong the whose am I? Why? Why does I would that argue that you know we'll say the LGBTQ movement mm -hmm. is largely in a movement not only to affirm the who I am, but yes, the desire yeah. to belong to someone. 
Yes. That desire to have a whose I belong to. Yes. That's yeah. a natural feeling. Within it. You cannot beat out of the flesh what is bred into the bone. It's yeah. who we are. We want to belong to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, how, it's how we're made. We're made to belong to God, but also in community with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when we think about living in light of the covenant of grace, we had, we had our, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Stephen Spinnenweber, on uh, earlier this week, and t- we're talking about the means of grace. Uh-huh. Uh how do the means of grace rise out of the covenant of grace? The short answer is they bring Christ to us. Two things that jump out to my mind in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, Christ came and preached peace to you. Now I've read the gospels once or twice. (laughs) I've never seen Jesus take a summer vacation to Ephesus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was there through the preaching of the word. Mm. The other thing I think about um, drawing heavily from Thomas Watson's book on the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Night Jesus was betrayed. How did the disciples feel? Scared? Yeah. Doubting? Fearful? Terrified? So Jesus prepares a meal and he says, This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And I think of that moment of a friend of mine who tore his ACL. And two days before the surgery, he Googled it and watched it. He didn't sleep for two days. Yeah. How do you think Jesus felt reenacting the crucifixion before them? It did not bring Jesus any peace. Yeah. But that meal wasn't for Jesus. That Mm -hmm. meal was for them. Yeah. To strengthen them, to to bring to remembrance his life and his death to them. Yeah. I would argue that probably 90% of our Christian life is a great act of remembering. Yeah. That's what I love about living in the South. I have a porch in front of my office. You've seen it. I've got rocking chairs out here. And I spend a majority of my time telling stories of hearing people's stories because those stories are formative for who they are. The means of grace are the same way as hearing our families tell us of our family history. They're formative, but these are not just stories. They're words and, and means of grace. And what, what's the words we use? Audible words, visible words, or we can say audible words, edible words, and wet words hmm. used to form us into the image of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can't expect to be like him if we're not around him on a regular basis. Yeah. And how often that's so key for identity because every single Sunday, corporately, um, how, how beautiful it is to have that great reset. Mm-hmm. Um, that. You know, that that and I love it how, you know, we we worship on the first day of the week and we can't we can't forget that it's it's technically not the weekend. It's the first day of the week. And we start out 
by hearing the gospel of grace and being reminded, hey, Christ fulfilled the covenant of works so that you can enter into the covenant of grace. This is who you are. This is your God. And then you're sent out with a blessing. Yeah. It's a game changer for the Christian to, to, to have that and be a part of that uh, week after week after week, and then how it flows into our own private worship day after day after day. Now, uh, go, oh, good, good. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, here's what I think comes out of this, because when people hear that we're talking about the covenant of grace, how we're not we're not we're not saved by our works, but you've you've already tipped your hat to this earlier. Um, what 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 happens to our works? Do do Christians just um, not have any more of a relationship to God's law? Um, what 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 is the Christian's use of the law, and and what is this thing that we kind of hear uh, in? throughout church history about the three different uses of the law, thinking about, uh, um, you know, the, the, the uses of mirror and, uh, uh, bridle and guide. Well, we think, you know, you, you, you answered the law restrains. You think of like first Timothy one, nine, the law convicts. You look at the law and you go, man, I have blown it. Yeah. And but then the last one and pertaining to the covenant of grace is a guide. Mm. What did I say in the beginning? A covenant is a relationship with parameters. Uh, agreement, two parties, promises, obligations. We love the promises part, but there's also the obligation. Yeah. You know, uh, I have obligations. I guarantee you. I will probably have to pick up bread from the grocery store one day this week because I can see it from my office door. And I'm going to do that. Yeah. Because my wife asked me. Yeah. <laughs> That's that. You know, it's yeah. we are in a relationship and there's obligations that go with it. In the same way, the law is that obligation. And I really want to push back. I, I'm in what they call the Southern Baptist captivity. Because I'm in the South. Uh, if y'all never lived in the South, I'm a recovering Baptist. I had a Baptist at my office for two hours today. If you look me up on Google Maps, there's a Baptist sitting on my porch in Google Maps. Okay, I love my Baptist friends. Uh, but I often hear from from their camp, you know, well, the law, that's the Old Testament thing. Yeah, yeah. But we actually have a double obligation He's mm. our Redeemer and our Redeemer. Yeah. It was yep. written on our hearts in creation. It was given it to us again at the Ten Commandments. And in the New Covenant, Jeremiah 20, 31, it's written on our hearts. Yes. Good. Yeah. Far good. Uh, as, as someone likes to tell me, they like to read the manual. Things mm -hmm. tend to work better when you read the manual. Yeah. The Ten Commandments become a guide what does it look like to be conformed to Jesus Christ's image? Well, let's think for a minute. Jesus Christ honored the Sabbath. Mm, that's still a commandment? Yeah, that's still there. <laughs> Jesus honored his father and mother. And he honored a, a, a people in authority above him. Yeah. Jesus preserved life. Mm. He healed a man with a withered hand. He fed those who were hungry. He cleansed a leper. 
he upheld marriage and he lived a life of chastity as a single man yeah the earth was the lord is the lord's and the fullness thereof and yet he trusted his heavenly father for food and drink hmm. he didn't lie deceit was not found in his mouth and he didn't covet you want to you want to know what does it look like to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Look at the Ten Commandments. Yeah, it's name seven. I could have yep. done the other three as well, but they're they're pretty easy. Yeah, uh, it gives us a guide to what does it look like in practical ways to be a Christian. Yeah, the law is a guide to the Christian life. It's a concrete pathway. What does it look like to look like? You know, what would Jesus do? The law answers that question. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'd commend everybody the larger and shorter catechism on the yes. law. Yes. The Ten Commandments. Yeah. They're useful. Yeah. Well, this uh, is why, as Christians, uh, we have everything to do with ethics. Yes. Um, ethics is, uh, um, Ethics flows out of our understanding of who our God is and living in covenant with Him. Um, and the reason why we have those ethics is not because they're just arbitrary rules, but because they are uh, they're revealing who our God is, mm -hmm. how to love Him and how to love others. So uh, we we uphold that we are saved by grace. Mm -hmm. But we also hold in the same hand that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Bingo. We're in him. We've been predestined for the adoption of sons so that we would be holy and blameless. Yeah. What does holy and blameless look like? Yep. The now, but here's a, here's a big thing, though. Now we got to think about what's the motivation, because people can be following along and say, OK, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. There's. Yeah, uh, we're, we're we're saved by grace, but you know we're we're saved by grace in order to do good works. But now, what can tend to happen is we can say, well, if I'm supposed to get, do good works, I, I what I tend to do is I tend to function now like I'm back under the covenant of works. So, in other words, how do, how does keeping our eyes upon the grace in Christ how does that motivate us and transform us to actually do good works? Well, I think it's important that we see um, when we look at doing good works, they flow from the covenant of grace. Yeah. I think So I used to be in landscaping. We used to plant a tree called sawtooth oaks. Sawtooth oaks are great. They don't lose their leaves turn brown. They droop, but they don't fall off. Mm. How do they fall off? When the spring comes, the soil warms up, the sap goes through the trunks and the twigs, and the and the new life pushes the old out. Yeah. What Chalmers call it, the expulsive power of new affections. Good. When Jesus' side is pierced, water and blood flow together. Yeah. They're both needed. Functionally, I see two problems. One is... Well, I just say a prayer and I'm good. Yep. Yep. That's to say, I need the blood. I don't care about the water. That's yeah. not a whole Christ. Mm. The other, like you said, it's functional. 
well, I only need the spirit if I get in a bind. Yeah. No, no. 100% of the time. What do we yeah. say? Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood, which from thy wounded side, which flow be of sin, the double cure. Save from wrath. Amen. And make me pure. Yep. Bingo. We go together. Yeah. Those are the things Jesus purchased for us. He came to us as redemption, righteousness, wisdom, and sanctification. Yeah. He is our holy or our righteousness, but he's also our holiness together. Well, and if we can give a shout out to Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Whole Christ, this is what's really key, is it's the the same Christ who forgives us, cleanses us, uh, justifies us, is the same Christ who empowers us to more and more walk with him. Yeah, that, and that's where we see sin pardoned and sin subdued. Mm. And one Puritan, I can't remember who, but he would say, use the means of grace as if your salvation depended upon it, but trust in them as if Jesus did all the work. Mm. We use them because God tells us to. They're the ways in which he makes us holy. Yeah. We do not trust in them. We trust in Jesus Christ. Correct. Yeah. Good. Now, this this is great and all. Uh, and I try to ask this question at almost the end of all these interviews. Uh, this is great. But how, how does this actually change the way we do ministry in church? I'm going to give it from a counseling standpoint. There's There's tons of ways we could apply. Let me give a counseling situation. Um, trying not to get myself in trouble here. Okay, <laughs> we got one. I got one. Two friends are having a confrontation in church. You know, there's a church behind me, a, a Methodist church that I love very dearly. I know everybody in that church just about. And there's two ladies that didn't speak for 40 years. Mm. They forgot why. Yeah. How do we counsel that situation? Okay. Well, there's one or two ways. They walk in your office and they say, I can't believe so-and-so. She does this and this and this and this and yada, 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 yada. That's a great application to hit, the, hit them with the law. Mm. Hey, there's some pride. You're not yeah. seeing your own sin. You're not seeing your need of Jesus Christ. What does the law... How do you, what do you think of passages when he says, if you forgive not your brothers, your father in heaven will not forgive you? Mm, wait, Zach. So you're telling me that sometimes we have to uh, afflict the comfortable? Yeah. But we also have to comfort the afflicted. Yeah. What if she would have came in and said, you know, I've been trying to, to reconcile. I've been yeah, doing, I just, I've given up. Well, don't, why don't we use the comfort of the gospel? Yeah. Yep. Jesus Christ came to reconcile God to man. Mm. But you see, their attitude towards their sin changes our approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I think that gets very practical because that's, in a lot of ways, even in, whether you're a pastor or not, uh, most, most of the people listening to this or not, 
you know, when, when you talk with your family members or you talk with a friend or someone who's coming to you for advice, that's that's often what we need to kind of look out for is kind of where where are we at here? Uh, do, 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 do we need law or gospel? Because sometimes you and I both know, sometimes people can come into our office and, man, you can tell immediately their conscience is crushing them. Um, and, uh, you can tell almost in the very next meeting you can have with someone, you can come in and be like, oh man, there's, there's a lot of arrogance here mm-hmm. that changes the way of how now we get to the gospel every time, but it changes maybe how we get to the gospel. It does. And, you know, I can, I, I, I'm thinking of a, of a family with my illustration and I can remember saying, uh, what do you think about that passage in Matthew? And the response was, I don't like to think about it. Mm. To which I appreciated the honesty. Yeah. But it changed the tenure of the conversation and the response to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because in that moment, it caused him to lift his eyes above his own heart and his own problems and their problems and to look to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And in both approaches, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. It's good. Thy rod and thy staff. Thy mm. disciplinary tool and thy comforting tool. They they guide me. Yeah. 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 And I'm 110 pounds. I got a big old staff, <laughs> a big old rod. Yeah. So. Now, if, if if we wanted to study more covenant theology, if, if we're still new to this, or maybe you've been listening to this and, and you're still kind of confused, uh, Zach, where, where do you tend to direct people if they want to study more about covenant theology? I'm going to give you two books. One is by Jody Rhodes, uh, Covenants Made Simple. Great book. The other one is by Reformation Heritage. I like it more. It's a little bit bigger. It gets a little bit more into big picture things. Um, God to Us by Stephen Myers. Yep, great book. If 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 I had a one book to give, that would be it. The Stephen Myers one. Stephen Myers every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, his application is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the way the the layout of the book, the progression through the chapters, everything. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think this is a really good discussion. I think there there could have been so many other things we we could have gone to, um, and I, th- I think that's just how all encompassing covenant theology is, and uh, it's definitely worth us uh, for ourselves and for our people to continue to think and wrestle uh, with the truths here. So, Zach, thanks for joining us again on the Gospel Gazing Podcast, and uh, we'll have you on another time. Thanks, man. Thank you.